Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord and to worship with you. One of the things that we've been emphasizing uh, in this new year is our desire to be a house of prayer. We ended last year and we talked about how we wanted to become a house of prayer. And so if you've noticed last month, uh, I've started each of my sermons off with an emphasis on prayer. So February, we focused on families. And so we had couples stand up and we had husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and children, which would be the single people. Single people were like, what about us? Y'all, you somebody's child, praise God. So, um, but we've, we've done that prayer. Uh, now, before I say what we're going to pray about right now, I want to read for you James chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. But then it says, is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. Now, those first two things, suffering and cheerfulness, this is what you can do on your own. You can praise God for what he's done for you and you can pray individually. But then he says something different. He says, is, is anyone among you sick, sick in your body? Then he says, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. In other words, he says, you can praise on your own. You can pray on your own. But there's some things you need intercession for from elders. And he says, if you're sick in your body. And so in the month of March, we just want to emphasize prayer for anyone who's sick. Now, I want to, I want to acknowledge, I think that we've let televangelists hijack this verse. So much so that we, we are um, afraid to tell the elders that we need healing in our body. Um, we're, our call is not to be miracle workers, but I do believe this. I believe I have access to the miracle worker. I truly believe that. And I, and I believe, I believe that uh, prayer is powerful. So I just want to be simple. Uh, today, if you really feel like there is something you've been holding on to uh, physically, I'd ask that you just come on up and we're going to take some time just to pray over you. Um, I just want to give room for that. So if there's anybody here today, just come on up and we're going to pray over your body. Come on up. 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 And if the other elders just come behind them, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Anyone else? Come on up. You just said, man, I, I cannot, whatever I'm holding on to, I can't handle on my own. All right. Come close, come close, come close, come close. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, all power is in your hand, Jesus. All power is in your hand, Jesus. All power is in your hand, Jesus. The same Jesus that walked on the roads of Nazareth, the same Jesus that rose from the dead, the same Jesus that turned water into wine, the same Jesus that rose people from the dead, the same Jesus that spoke life 
after death. The same Jesus that was the Jesus of miracles. The same Jesus. The same Jesus. The same Jesus that we read about is the same Jesus we call upon right now. And we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus, heal bodies right now in the name of Jesus. Heal hearts right now for the one that is carrying a disease that they were told could never be transformed. We call on the one that is the great transformer, Jesus. Jesus, I call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, heal hearts right now, God. Heal the body. Where, where is their sickness right now? Where is their sickness right now? I pray for the one who is having trouble in their lungs right now. God, I pray for healing right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Anyone dealing with problems in their mind, in their mind, God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Those who have had back issues, God, we pray for healing right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Those who have had autoimmune disease and issues in the name of Jesus. I ask right now, Holy Spirit, pour yourself out right now. Pour yourself out. Now join me in prayer. Pour yourself out right now. In the, in the mighty name of Jesus, we've taken away the supernatural power of Jesus, but we call on the supernatural power of Jesus, and we ask that you heal, God. No doctor has the final answer. No doctor has the final answer. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, God, come close to them. Come close to them. Come close to them, Jesus. Come close to them and acknowledge God. The evil one has tried to manipulate them with this disease. The evil one has tried to manipulate them with this deficiency. But God, we offer up our bodies to you. And we touch and agree and we ask, Breathe on them again, God. Just, just this, just to remind them that the story is not over yet. Breathe on them again, God. And we ask God, as the scripture says, if anyone is sick amongst you, call on the elders right now, God. We ask that our prayers would heal them. Let's just all, would you just all, just in your hearts and minds, if, if you're not sick in this room, would you just mind and hearts, just pray. Would you just lean your hand out with me and just pray for these folks right now in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of God, we're just calling on you right now. We're calling on you right now. We're joining with you, Jesus. Right now, the Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, joining us in prayer. God, we are just interceding with them. And as we are just leaning in, God, we are just asking for a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Transform that which they've been carrying. Transform their bodies in ways they cannot transform in their own. Now, would you join me in giving God praise right now? Join me in giving the miracle worker praise. Join me in giving him 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 praise. We're trusting that it's already done. We're trusting that he's healing right now in the mighty name of Jesus.
Let's just give one more praise up for the Lord this morning. Somebody came this morning and said, I didn't know we rock like that. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, re I really believe we have uh, reduced the Bible into teachings and not miracles. And uh, I believe that we have to bring, we have to... Uh, open ourselves up to the miracle worker again. I, I truly believe he is a God of miracles. And I believe he worked a miracle in my life. I believe he transformed my life. And so I believe he can transform yours. And I believe he can heal the body as well. So this month we'll be emphasizing healing. And so if you didn't come up this week, we'll be praying about it next week. So uh, um, we'll be doing that all, all month. And each month we'll, we'll have a different thing we emphasize. We've been in the book of First Peter. You can open up there. First Peter chapter 1. And we have been emphasizing um, the idea is a hope, and the name of the series has been Hopefully. And this context of the, of the book really comes from people who have been exiled, who are suffering, who are being persecuted. And so Peter, in the book of First Peter, is literally teaching them how to hope. There is a good chance you're not sure how to hope. Maybe you've been through so many things, you don't know how to hope. Maybe you hoped at one point, you don't know how to hope again. Peter is here to teach you. Um, social scientists have acknowledged that hope is not an emotion. Hope is not a feeling. Hope is actually something you can learn. And so just like you can teach a child two plus two is four, you can teach a person to hope. So if you've come here this Morning, wanting more hope, you can learn, you can grow, and you can build a greater sense of hope than you currently have today. That's the purpose of this book, and that is the purpose of this message. So last week, if you had a chance to listen to the message, or if you were here, you know that what Peter was trying to get at was we will not understand everything that we go through. The way he said it was that uh, faith is seeking understanding, we said. And so we will understand by and by, we eventually said. But now today, uh, Peter is going to teach us another aspect of hope. And I believe John helps us to get a picture of what Peter is trying to communicate. Uh, look at 1 John with me on the screen. It says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we will see him as he is. And everyone, listen, everyone thus hopes, everyone who, hope, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now the idea in the beginning there is that we're his children and we look to him, and as we look to him, look at what he says, we purify ourselves as he is pure. If we hope in him, we become more purified. Today, Peter is going to teach us how hopefulness 
produces holiness. Hopefulness produces holiness. And what he's trying to get at is when you look to him, you become more like him. Other ways to put it is outlook determines outcome. You become what you behold. You imitate what you admire. This is why the Bible says, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. So we've said that hope is nothing more than when you expect great things from God. Now, why do you expect great things from God? Because you trust him, because you love him, because he's safe. Because he's secure, this same safe, secure, loving, trustworthy God, as you look to him, you become more like him. Hopefulness produces holiness. Why? Because more than anything else, he is holy. So Peter is going to try to direct their minds, those who are in exile, those who are living around people that don't want nothing to do with the Lord. Angle up your eyes on the Lord, because if you don't, you will become what you behold. And if you're beholding the world, you become like the world. You imitate what you admire. If you're admiring the world, you imitate the world. So in the same way, he's saying, make sure your hope is fixed on him and you'll become more like him for he is holy. Amen. Amen. So let's look at first Peter chapter one. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, therefore, now the therefore is there because before this he was talking about salvation, the great salvation we have, the inheritance we have in heaven. So he's been helping us to see all that we have from the Lord. So the therefore is keeping uh, that reality in our minds. Look at all that God has given you in light of that is what he's saying. So therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your mind. Other versions of this, and really what the imagery that Peter is trying to communicate is gird up your loins. Now, what he means by that is that at that time, someone would generally be walking around in a robe, a robe that had a sash on it or like a belt. And if you wanted to do any strenuous activity or if you wanted to run, you'd have to take that robe and tuck it into the belt, i.e. the loins, the loincloth. You would tuck that in to your belt. And that way you could run. You could prepare to do something strenuous. So in many ways, he's saying, get ready to put some mental work in. Another way to say it is pull your thoughts together. Discipline your mind. Tighten up your thinking. He's saying that there's a certain thought process needed in order to have your hope fully set on that. And so then the other side of that is, he says, uh, being sober-minded. Sober-minded. Prepare your thoughts. Also be sober-minded. The idea of being sober-minded is that we can become mentally intoxicated with the world. In fact, much of our mental intoxication is not with bad things. It's with good things. It's just not God. So this mental intoxication happens tomorrow morning. 
You see, tomorrow morning, you've got goals, you've got relationships, you've got feelings, you've got bosses, you've got trains, you've got all these things on your mind. And oftentimes, in this pantheon of things going on in your head, there's this little corner over there under the clothes called Seeking God. Where is Seeking God again? I don't know. I lost it. Can't find it. Because it's, 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 uh, because your mind is a mess. Because there's no order. And so when he says, tighten up your thinking, bring order to your thoughts, what he's saying is the first thing you must do is prioritize the Lord in your thinking. Don't you remember who he was, who he is? So this imagery, in order to become more sober, to prepare our minds, he says that we must set your hope fully. So look there in verse 13. When he says set your hope fully, what is that saying? That's saying that hope just doesn't pop up in the morning. You have to set it. Just like you got to set an alarm. You got to set other things. You got to set stuff up. You got to set hope up in your mind. It's not just going, I hope, I hope. No, not that kind of hope. It's hope that you engage. Set your hope fully. Why? Because you anticipate what the Lord is going to do and what he's already done. You think about what he's already done. So if, if you were getting married and you were engaged, you prepare for the wedding. You prepare for that day because you're anticipating in the same way you look to the glory of God, the goodness of God. You anticipate what God is going to do and you think about what he's already done. So hope ain't just going to happen. Just like nothing else is going to happen. You must initiate a new way of thinking. Okay. So. I think how you start your day says a lot about you. And uh, I get it that we all have computers and we all have phones and all that stuff. And I'm not here to be that guy. But what I, what I will say, what I, what I will, because there's that person that exists. And y'all, half of y'all going to do it, half of y'all not going to do it. So, but, but here's what I will say. Um, something is discipling you every day. And it's not always the Lord. You become what you behold. You imitate what you admire. Outlook determines outcome. So much of it is then, if you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus, what are you fixing your eyes on? Because whatever is your eyes are fixed to is also changing you. Okay? Amen. So, so then he, he says, okay, so let's think of this in a restrictive way. What, what should you not do? In order to have this hopefulness that produces holiness, what should you not do? Well, in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, remember he goes back to this father-child analogy, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So understand Uh, The word conformed here is the same word in Romans 12. It is this idea uh, of a pattern. And the the imagery there is uh, to patterns one's life. So in other words, he says, don't pattern your life after your passions. Moreover, your former passions of your ignorance. Now, when the scriptures talk about passions... Uh, it can, 
be defined as desire or longings. Another word is cravings. And it's something you feel intense about. And I think it's important to note that he, he acknowledges these passions came when you didn't know the Lord. You were ignorant. You were naive. You didn't know him. And so it is very important to note that feelings are something else, boy. Why is Peter talking about passions? I don't think he's just talking about lust in the broadest sense of like sinfulness. But he's just talking about things you're driven by when you didn't know God. Feelings are powerful. And feelings are so powerful that sometimes we ordain them. In other words, we can have feelings that are so intense they can feel like it's God himself. And so because of that, we may not realize that that's how the world operates, particularly nowadays, because feelings are the most dominant barometer for direction. And what the Bible is telling us is feelings were never, listen to what I'm telling you, feelings were never meant to be a barometer for God's will. In fact, the constant use of feelings to gauge direction will leave you not to a greater life, but moreover to bondage. This is why people can't stay committed to nothing. Relationships, people, things, you can't do nothing. Because over time, it doesn't feel good anymore. And so this, the, the, the desire to not feel pain anymore is real. I feel that. And I talk to people all the time, like, I just don't know if I can do this relationship because it doesn't feel good anymore. I was like, why did you think the relationship was always going to feel good? Where did you get this idea from? <laughs> right before this, chapter one, he talked about sufferings are actually God's means of having tests and trials. God uses it. And so in many ways, the Bible is helping us to see that you must have a gauge on your feelings. Now, we ought to know what we feel, but our feelings were never meant to, to drive us. And, the world, and, and we have to be very careful about who we get advice from, because that is the modus operandi of the world. So what he's trying to say is if you are living in rebellion while you know the goodness of God, then you're living in willful ignorance and you're rejecting what you know is good. Be very careful about people who will always advise you to go towards your feelings but never drive you to a text. Because you might walk away feeling good from that meeting, completely in rebellion with God. Ooh, that was good. I, just, I feel affirmed. Whew. It's like, you get me. You, you, they get you, but you're not getting God. So just don't make every relationship, they make me feel better. Because that might not be wisdom. You know, there, praise God. You know, there's a, there's a, 
There's a wisdom. The Bible talks about there being a worldly wisdom. Isn't that wild? Worldly wisdom? So a lot of t- so that means the world goes right. Amen. The whole world is like, that's it. You doing it. While there is a godly wisdom that the world's like, no, I don't get that. And so being a living sacrifice, the world goes no. While God says yes. So be very careful about who you give and, de- and designate to be your mentor, your friend, or your advisor, or your therapist, praise the Lord. Be very careful because you must guard your ears and your heart, especially in areas you're sensitive to. That was all for free, praise God. Passions, passions and desires. Passions and desires we must be careful about. Now, so, okay, so then he he talks about that in a restrictive um, sense. But then what are we to be? Who are we to be? He says, well, clearly, be holy. I'm trying to figure out who I am. Be holy. I'm just, I'm just my person out. Be holy. I'm just, but who am I? Holy. Be holy. That's what it took. I searched all over. Don't search no more. Be holy. Well, who's holy? He's holy. Be holy as he is holy. He is saying to exiled people who are in worldly situations that are being co-opted, their, their devotion is being co-opted by the world. And he's saying, you think you're searching all over on who to be and how to be and who to be like. Be holy. Because you will become what you behold. You will imitate what you admire. Outlook determines outcome. Be holy. So first Peter 1 and 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So what do we mean by holiness? Uh, The word itself means to separate, to be cut, uh, to be cut loose from. Okay. Um, So if you want to see God as holy, you have to see him as infinitely different, and far above all that you know. It is one thing to say that you are loving. It is one thing to say that you are wise. But we know that God is loving. We know that God is wise. But his wisdom is a holy wisdom. His love is a holy love. His holiness, therefore, defines all his other attributes Because his holiness sets him far above all that we know. Another way to say it is God is different. He's different. And we have to be reminded God is different. Jesus, when the disciples came to him and said, well, how do you pray? He said, first thing, first thing, first thing, pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be, the imagery of holy is your name. Set apart is your name. You are different. One of the things that is therefore important is that God is trying to communicate to us that there will be times when you would say, well, I wouldn't do that. And God's like, right, you wouldn't because we're different. He says it 
straight up in Isaiah 55. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't think the same. Maybe you don't understand because I have a more elevated way of thinking than you do. Maybe you don't understand the way because you can't understand my ways. There's a gap of understanding. So the the reason why that is important is because sometimes in our minds we say, well, God is loving. And we put him as the top rank lover. Like he's he's at the top. He's at the top of the charts. He's wise. You ought to see God's wisdom because he's wise. We put him at the top of the charts of wisdom. And he's saying, take me off the chart. Don't put me on the put. I'm not in your rankings. Don't even put me on your chart. I'm off the charts. Do you understand what he's saying? I'm, I'm way above your ranking. I am far and above all that you can think. So then the key to understanding his holiness is not just us understanding his moral perfection, but it is us constantly making sure we take him off the charts, put him high. That's why we sing songs about his magnificence and his transcendence. Why? For him to be reminded? No, for us to be reminded that he's holy. The scriptures say it this way in 1 Samuel 2.2, there is none holy like you, Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. There's no one like God. The scriptures say in Exodus 15 and 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There's no one like you. And so the the word that you could use here um, in Isaiah 29, 22 and 23, it says, God says, for when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. The word sanctify is the same essentially as holy. It means to set apart Sanctifying God is when you set him apart in your mind. Sanctify my name. When you lift my name above everything else. And there are some that God is in your life, but you haven't sanctified him yet. You haven't set him up above. Oh, he's in the library, but he's a book on the shelf. He's in your life. He's a resident not president. And so, so part of our problem is we say God is priority. So God's priority number one. Well, um, God is bigger than priority number one. God is such a priority that he prioritizes number two and number three. In many ways, he's saying, I'm the Lord of the list. And so I define all the numbers. And when you make him number one, but you don't define number two by him, then he's a part of your life, not Lord of your life. He's Lord. He's Lord of all. 
And therefore, holiness is when I devote every area of my life to him. Every area. And so what, 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 what does he say here? What does he say? Because he doesn't just tell us that God is holy. He then looks at us and says, be holy as he is holy. And as we think about this, he's like, I got no chance. Have you seen me this week? Have you heard the things rolling in my mind? Have you watched me? I got no shot. So if holiness is his moral perfection and our moral perfection, then we have no chance. But maybe holiness from a human standpoint isn't just our desire to be morally perfect. Um, who can be holy is a good question. Leviticus 27 and 30 uh, says this, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. What's okay. So the tithe is of the land talking about agriculture here, but it says it's, it's the Lord's. And what's his next say? It's holy to the Lord. There are other parts of Leviticus that talk about linen being made holy, oil being made holy, pots being made holy. How can they become holy? The answer is that anything put in the temple or in the tabernacle or anything that was put completely at God's disposal for exclusive use of God was holy. That means that to be holy means to be holy God's. Another way of putting it is totally devoted to God. And so he therefore is not the priority of my life. He has my whole life. And if my life is a house, he can go into any room and just redesign everything. Right? So he's just walking around in the room of my house and he, this is your finances? Oof. Oh boy. Okay, we're gonna be, it's going to take about 20 years, but rock with me and we can do stuff together, right? All right? And then you, you look over and your future and you open up that door. Come on, God, come in here. And you're like, okay, I got this. The Lord's like, I got this. Then he walks past your sex life and you go, hey, 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 hey. Don't, 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 don't. Don't go in that room, Jesus. Right? And you go, that's my room. Holiness is not him coming in the room and you being morally perfect the minute he walks in the room. Holiness is giving him access to the room. And the question is, are there places in your life where you say, don't touch me there, Holy Spirit? Oh, no, 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 no. That's mine. That's my quiet time. Huh? And so it might be worth saying this. For all of us as children of God, we will have rooms that we're less comfortable opening up to the Lord. So, it's, so there are times when you go, okay, you got to break it down with me then. You just, bust, you just ram it and I'm just going to be right behind you because I don't want you to come in. I don't want you to change my finances. I don't want you to change my sex life. I don't want you to, there's some things I like to think about. I don't want you to change my thought life in this area. 
So holiness is when I give it all to you. And I want to say right now that I want you to know God is extending his hand saying, let me in. Every area, let me in. I'm better than you at living your life. Okay. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a better, I'm a better father than you. I'm a better coworker than you. I'm a better friend than you. Let me in. I'm, I'm better at thinking your thoughts. I'm better at running your life. Let me in. And, you, and, you, and you're afraid because you might change. You will. But I, but I want to I say there's a stark difference between conviction and getting caught. And I, I think that one of the things that happens is devotion is actually supposed to be this thing where you're so in love that you want to please the one you're in love with. So obedience is actually a delight to your heart because you not only have joy, but you get joy out of seeing them have joy. I delight, you delight in the Lord. You delight in his presence. You delight in his words. You delight in his commands. But we have to be careful because oftentimes people see holiness as moral duty. And, And we will oftentimes be obedient to God out of a dutifulness so that we can get whatever outcome we want. You know, when you, the more you increase in power, the less you'll probably know who you really are. Like, if you're very powerful, um, people laugh at your jokes, right? People just start agreeing with you. Like, yeah, you're right, yeah. yeah. And what, what's, hap- what's happening is people aren't about you, they're about what you have. So they will tell you whatever you need to hear in order to get what you have. So that's why if you become in a position of power, you have to make sure you have people around you that are being honest with you because you can fall into that delusion. But in many ways, our obedience sometimes comes out of a duty of just trying to get something from God. Sometimes you've restricted your sex life so you can get married. I hope it works out for you. That ain't a promise. That's not a promise. You, 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 you give him your sex life because of what he says in his word, not to get an outcome. And so oftentimes our devotion comes from duty, not delight. I restrict myself because I delight in the Lord. When, uh, in my single days, (laughs) um, You know, my, my wife and I, we didn't, have, we didn't have sex before we got married. And um, it was a challenge. <laughs> a very challenging time. And, um, you know, we had accountability and all this other stuff. And, and I'll never forget. Now, my wife, holy, holy unto the Lord. And um, um, one night we hugged, and it was, it was the sinful hug. Amen. So it was... It was Something else was happening. And, and uh, she called up her friend. Her friend's name is Yanni. She was like, Yanni, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. We fell. And she, so her friend Yanni was like, y'all fell? She was like, mm-hmm, we just, we blew it. 
So she's like, it's okay. She's okay. She's like, now, did you, you know, did you guys use protection? She was like, oh, no, we were just hugging. We were just hugging. She was like, girl, shut up. <laughs> what? How do you, de- how you define and fall, girl? But the beautiful, the beautiful thing is for, for my wife, that was her line. Like she just knew it wasn't pleasing God. Not, it wasn't about sex. It was about pleasing God. See, when pleasing God is your guide, you don't ask, how much can I do? You know, oftentimes when it comes to money, people are like, how much I got to give? You know, how, how much y'all need? How much I got to give for a blessing from God? That's duty. But devotion says, how much can I give? Because I want to please him. And so what transforms that is the more you behold him, the more you behold him, the more you'll be like him. The more you admire him, the more you'll want to imitate him. Outlook determines outcome. And so that is our desire And so in closing, Peter says this. He says, and if you call on him as father, so notice he goes back to the father-child dynamic. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout your time of your exile. Would you read that last part for me? Conduct yourself with fear Throughout your time in exile. Read that with me again. Conduct yourself with fear throughout your time in exile. Well, what should I be afraid of the Lord? Well, y'all, there is a healthy fear. This imagery of judgment is not talking about future judgment. This is talking about tomorrow. This is talking about tonight. And the judgment he is talking about there is nothing more than discipline. That we are to behold him, that we are to gird up our minds and set our hopes fully on him, that we are to be holy. But when we lack in our desires and we find ourselves falling into sin, oftentimes the Lord will discipline us so that we might partake in holiness. Not that he would want to hurt us. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul felt in order to get the Corinthian church from stop sleeping with prostitutes, they ought to know They were bought with a price. He's saying if you understand the cross, if you behold the cross, it will change your sexual behavior. Not your sexual desires. Amen. That's a whole nother sermon. He's not talking about desires. He's talking about behavior. And he's saying if you behold the cross, if you know what it costs, it'll transform you. When I was a child, and some of you experienced this, um, we would, uh, go, we would be getting ready to go into a store. And my mother would say this proverbial threat, <laughs> warning, slash dare. And it was, very, it was very powerful. 
she, 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 we were walking towards a store. And then, let's say it'd be like a jewelry store where there's a lot of expensive things. We were walking towards it. And she stopped just for a second. She'd be like, break something. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Break something. <laughs> and what, I know what the end of the sentence means. Because what she's saying is if you break something in there, I'm going to break something on you. Amen. <laughs> Now, why, do, why, why does my mom have to intimidate me, but discipline me? Because I don't understand the cost. When you're four and five, you're just running around the jewelry store, just acting as a fool, because you don't understand the cost. So it, not only does she have to pay the price if I do something, but then she has to help me understand the cost. So the way that my mother helps me understand the cost of my behavior is by disciplining me. In other words, he says, you'll have to pay the cost till you understand the cost. Because see, when I get older, I don't run around stores acting a fool. I see I'm around jewelry. I see the things that I'd have to pay. I wouldn't want to do that. In the same way, God loves us by disciplining us. But he's only disciplining you so that it would get your mind back on Jesus that you would behold him. If he's disciplined you and you've walked away, you've missed the point. But if he's disciplined you, it's so that you would delight in him. So some things that he's taken away from you, say amen. Some things that you've been burdened by, you need to say amen because they're purifying you. We become what we behold. We imitate what we admire. Outlook determines outcome. Tomorrow morning, behold him. Behold him. And this is why the Bible says, follow him. Tomorrow, follow him. Gird up the loins of your mind and behold him because he's good. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor you. We love you. And we ask that in this moment that we would be reminded of your grace. We'd be reminded of your love. Holy Spirit, right now, for the one that is afraid of you, not as a good father, a holy father, but as a killjoy. For the one that thinks you're trying to restrict life instead of give life. Holy Spirit, would you give them a comfort right now, a peace right now? And God, tomorrow morning, as my mind is a mess, order my mind. Strengthen my heart so that I might behold you in Christ's name. We hope today's message was encouraging to you. We would love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. If this message was impactful to you today, please send us an email, info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handles on our social media platforms is bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you are in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services on Sundays are at 11 a.m., and the address is 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. 
Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.